Great to have you. John chapter 14. Our text today is found in verses 18 through 21. Uh, so what you see in your, in your bulletins uh, is just a suggested uh, amount of verses. Uh, it all gets kind of brought down to the lowest common denominator for us here. We might focus on these truths today because remember that Jesus is now preparing to go to the cross. His disciples, his most Love disciples, his most devoted disciples, are with him. Judas has left, Judas Iscariot. And now he speaks to them, not only the truths that they need to know before Jesus goes to the cross, but the truths that they need to know before they carry on the mission of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And up to this point, he has been telling them, as we saw last time, about keeping the commandments. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. He would let them know that he was not going to leave them alone. He says, I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it sees him not, neither knoweth him, but you know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. And this is where we want to pick up, because he says very clearly, I will not leave you comfortless, I will come to you. I will come to you. Now remember, he has just said the spirit of truth would come, another comforter would come. Jesus has been their comforter. Another comforter would come, the Holy Spirit. Yet he says, I will come to you. That's a very significant statement. But then he goes on and he says, Yet a little while in the world seeth me no more. But you see me, because I live, you shall live also. Because I live, you shall live also. At that day you shall know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. He that has my commandments, and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me, and he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him, and will manifest myself to him. Very early on in my Christian walk, I was stirred and I was moved much by the music of Bill and Gloria Gaither. Their songs continue to bring joy to my heart each and every time I hear them. But the one song of theirs that brought such heartfelt blessings to me as a very young Christian and, and still does today is a song called Because He Lives. And I don't doubt at all that the title was taken from Jesus' statement in the passage that we just read. The chorus of that song says it all for me. It says, because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. 
Because I know he holds the future. And life is worth the living just because he lives. You know, it is incomprehensible to believe those simple truths without appreciating the immensity of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in the lives of true believers. Just to think that a member of the triune Godhead has come to take residence in our hearts and in our daily lives is a reality more enduring than all the stars in the heavens. But this very truth is so fundamental and essential to our faith. Our God's abiding presence with us, in us, and upon us through the person of his Holy Spirit. The truth is, we need his abiding presence. And the simple but uplifting and awe-inspiring reason is that the Christian life lived out daily through our lives is Christ. I don't want you to miss this, so I'm going to say that again. That the uplifting and awe-inspiring reason that we need his abiding presence is that the Christian life lived out daily through our lives is Christ himself. Now, this may be a bitter pill to swallow for some of you, but when it comes to our lives in the flesh, even as believers, what the Lord expects from us is failure. Just stop and think about it. Don't throw anything at me yet. But what the Lord expects from us is failure. Why? Because he knows us, doesn't he? He knows us from beginning to end. He knows us before we even see tomorrow. He knows what we'll do. But I encourage you by saying, let's take a sneak peek into the next chapter. To read something that Jesus said to his disciples. John 15, verses 4 and 5. He said to them, abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can ye except you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. Now take note of this next phrase. Take note carefully of what he says. He says, for without me, you can do nothing. Without me, you can do nothing. That phrase, without me you can do nothing, is so powerfully significant in that it literally means this. Now listen carefully. Literally, Jesus said, if you are separated by space, and that, does, that means an inch or a mile, just separated from him. If you are separated by space and severed from me, severed, cut away, from me. You can do absolutely nothing. And as believers in Jesus Christ, we need to take hold of that truth. 
There are too many people today who think that just because they're Christians now, they have the right, they have the way, they have the means, they have the thoughts, and they have the intellect, and they have everything that they need, and they can help Jesus along. Oh, l listen, Lord, thanks for getting me where I am, but now I can take over here. And Jesus said, no, without me, if you're severed from me, you can do nothing. What we cannot dismiss about our Christian life is that it is indeed a supernatural life because of Jesus. Now, you're going to hear that word supernatural quite a bit today. This is not hocus pocus. Got it? Not hocus pocus. But it's the reality of having God in us, Christ in us, the Spirit of God in us. We cannot dismiss about our Christian life that it is indeed a supernatural life because of Jesus Christ. For 33 and a half years, he lived a supernatural life on this earth. Born of a virgin in fulfillment of scripture. His father as God lived his life in him through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And now we as born again regenerated men and women, born again of the Spirit of God, are to allow him as God to live his life in us through the indwelling of his Holy Spirit. So let's never forget that the Christian life is a supernatural life. It is the very life of Christ lived out in every believer by means of the indwelling Spirit of God. And his life, by the way, is to be our life as well. His life is to be our life. And what greater life is there to live than the life of the one who actually created the heavens and the earth, who actually was and is and will always be an eternal God. And so Jesus says in verse 18, listen, I will not leave you comfortless I will come to you. I'll be with you. I'll be with you. I'll be upon you. I'll be in you. So this was a word of comfort. And if you're taking notes, right there by this verse on your, in your Bibles, uh, verse 18, you just write there, word of comfort. Word of comfort. Because this was a word of comfort for his disciples who were devastated with the news that Jesus was going away. We don't want to go all the way back to all the quotes of everybody saying, Oh, Lord, where are you going? Where's, what, what, we're going to go with you, aren't we? No, no, no. They're devastated by what Jesus is telling them. And don't forget this. All along, Jesus has been telling them he's going away. All along, Jesus is telling them how he's going to go away. Jesus has even told them a number of times, I'm going to the cross. They're going to crucify me. I'm going to die. They'll be burying me. But three days later, I'm going to rise from the dead. And then you get, okay, yeah, oh, what, huh, Whoa. And every time he told them, the more confused they became. Because they were for sure that once Jesus entered into the city of Jerusalem on the foal of a donkey, that, oh, here was the Messiah of Israel to defeat Rome and to bring us the millennial kingdom. But it wasn't time. The Lamb of God came to take away the sins of the world. And that had to happen first. 
So these disciples there around Jesus who's speaking to them in such loving words and loving tones because they were so devastated. They felt helpless and hopeless and bewildered and frightened and lost. In a word, they were comfortless. They were comfortless. But the word comfortless here in the Greek is the word orphanus. Orphanus. From which we get the English word orphan. And the Lord was saying, look, I'm not going to leave you fatherless. I'm not going to leave you as orphans. He might be departing physically, but he would be with them spiritually. And he would be with them in a whole new way. As the scripture says, a new and living way. He would be with his people. He then spoke to them a word of commitment. So next to verse 19, you want to write a word of commitment. For Jesus said to them, yet a little while, and the world seeth me no more. But you see me, because I live, you shall live also. A word of commitment. Consider, if you will, that the world last saw Jesus with physical eyes. The world last saw Jesus when it crucified him and sealed his tomb. It has, for all intents and purposes, seen him no more. They haven't seen Jesus. We know from the gospel accounts that the disciples would see Jesus again in various post-resurrection appearances. But that didn't exhaust his commitment to his own because he told them, you see me. Now that's significant because of the way it was said to them. The fact that he used the present tense gives indication of a continuing vision. It's a very special kind of present tense that talks about seeing him continually. You see me and you will always continue to see me. That's what he said to them. You see me. You see me. Because I live, you shall live also. So obviously he meant more than just the post-resurrection appearances. He's not just talking about appearing to them after he rose again from the dead. Because that actually came to an end with his ascension into heaven. And they all saw him, those disciples all saw him taken up into the clouds. You see, those who believe in him, from the disciples on through every follower of Jesus Christ since, will go on seeing him. How? With eyes of faith. With eyes of faith. Peter himself would say, though you have not seen him, you still love him, don't you? We will go on seeing him with eyes of faith until our life's temporary journey is done. And as John puts it in the book of Revelation in chapter 22, verse 4, he says, and they shall see his face. Until then, they shall see his face and his name shall be in their foreheads. Until then, we see Jesus with eyes of faith. But then, Jesus added that great sublime statement, because I live you shall live also. 
Now, the word that he uses for live is very important because there's three words actually, you know, in the Greek that are used for life. There's the word bios, B-I-O-S. We get our word biology. It talks about physical life. There's the word zoe, Z-O-E, that Jesus used in in John chapter 10, verse 10, when he said, I came to, that you might have life and have it more abundantly, a spiritual life. But here Jesus used the word zao, Z-A-O. He says, because I live, you shall live also. Now, don't forget, and I'll explain the word zao in just a second, but don't forget that the cross and death are staring Jesus right then and there in the face. Hours away from the cross. And he says, because I live, you shall live also. So he's declaring this great statement with inspiring indifference to the threats of death and the cross. So he uses the word zao in what can only be considered as a dateless, timeless, present tense to indicate an undying life, a life that cannot be brought, that cannot be robbed from him. Death cannot rob him of that life. No man can take that life away from him, his life from him. He was in complete control of the whole entire process, wasn't he? Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds the future. He's in control. Life is worth the living just because he lives. By the way, he had prepared his disciples beforehand, if you remember, back in John chapter 10, verses 17 and 18, when he says, therefore does my father love me because I lay down my life that I might take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down and I have power to take it again. That sounds to me like he's in control. This commandment have I received of my father. And so we now should understand how and why Jesus will no longer manifest himself to unbelievers like he does to those who love and obey him. My question for you to contemplate here right now is how will the world now see him then? How will the world now see him if it isn't through you and me as believers in Jesus Christ? If it wasn't for someone who came into my life to tell me about Jesus, to tell me about the gospel, to tell me about what Jesus did on the cross, though I kind of knew about that kind of stuff, it it, it was never an impact on me until the day that I saw the cross. And the person telling me about Jesus was exuding Jesus to me. Will we be that image of Jesus to those who need him? You know, the Lord dwells on the throne of each of our hearts as believers. 
The Lord dwells on the throne of each of our hearts and his truths are manifested to us by his spirit. So understand that this is a supernatural work in each of our lives. In each of our lives. And this is why we are told by Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 verses 20 through 22. Listen. He says, but now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. The first fruits of them, the first fruits to rise again. Jesus is the first fruits. For since by man came death, that is Adam, by man came also the resurrection of the dead, that's Jesus. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. That's a supernatural work, folks. That's supernatural. Jump down to verse 54 of 1 Corinthians 15. It says, so when this corruptible, speaking of the body, this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, a new body, this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? Where is your sting upon every believer in Jesus Christ in this room here today? If the sting comes, it comes to the body. But the body is just your temporary residence for who you really are in Christ. Oh grave, where is thy victory? The victory is, is neither in death, in the grave, or in hell, or in the devil. The victory is not in any of those things. The victory is in Christ. Notice what it says, the sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is a law, but thanks be to God which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Supernaturally, folks. Therefore, my beloved brethren, because of that, be ye steadfast, be grounded in God and in Christ and in his word, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Even the Apostle Peter would chime in in this great statement of 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3-5, through 5, when he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again, has made us born again, has begotten us again unto a lively hope, a living hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You are to have a living hope in Jesus Christ today. Because he has risen from the dead. He is alive today. And our hope is to an inheritance, verse 4, incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. It's there now for you. It's reserved. It's better than Christmas layaway. You who are kept by the power of God through faith, unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. And let's add one more thought to this. If our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is living forever and he dwells within the believer, then the believer will live eternally as well. Because I live, you shall live also. Same word, zao. Not two different words, same word. Because I live undying, timeless, dateless, eternally, you shall live un 
dying, timeless, dateless, and eternal also. Isn't that wonderful to know? And did you know that's supernatural? And this is something that Jesus had promised already in John 8, 51. Listen to these words, John 8, 51. And remember that in John chapter 8, Jesus is speaking in the presence of detractors. How can you talk about Abraham as, you know, you're not even 50 years old. These were the things that were being said to Jesus at that time. But this is what Jesus said. Look at what he says in verse 51. He says, verily, verily, I say unto you, if a man keep my saying." If a man keep my word, in other words, he shall never see death. Isn't that what he's saying? Because I live, you shall live also. The body may die, but you're going to get a new one. A resurrected body. But you shall never see death. You shall not see death. Why? Because death and sin and the grave and the devil have no power over you. Amen? The believer in Jesus Christ is made eternal by the eternal presence of Christ within them. That is a supernatural work. Let me, let me interject here very quickly. The reason why I'm, 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 I'm moving in this, in this direction about the supernatural work in us each and every day so that we can better understand where we are supposed to be in understanding the power of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. Because there are such great extremes being taught in, 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 in different places in the church today. You have one extreme uh, of, of, uh, of extreme Pentecostalism that, that just go off and say that everything that they do, whether it's weird or not, is, is of, of the Lord because it's the Spirit. And we, we don't have any control, yet the Scripture says very clearly that one of the gifts of the Spirit is, is, is self-control. One of the fruit of the Spirit is self-control, I should say. So, you know, we, we have that. Then you have on the other extreme people that today say, well, the gifts of the Spirit went out with the apostles, and, and so they're not re uh, relevant today or valid today. Excuse me. It's in the Word of God. We need the gifts of the Spirit. We need every one. Paul would have said, okay, these are going to only last so long, and then, okay, then you can put those aside. He didn't say that. No, we need all the gifts. Because we're facing the, the same kind of, of, of evil in the world. In, in a sense, an even greater evil. So we need to have that understanding biblically of the supernatural work of God in the Spirit. I mean, you know, that other extreme says, listen, if you speak in tongues, you're of the devil. Where does it say that in the Scriptures? See, so it, it's again, you get away from the Scriptures, you get away from truth. You get away from truth and you start teaching falsehood. So we're trying to understand here that everything that happens as believers in Jesus Christ is not just happenstance, it is a supernatural work of God. It is beyond the natural. Us sitting here today on this Sunday morning is supernatural. Because if we were without Christ, we'd be doing something else. Sitting in the El Paso Times, which is only ads nowadays. You know, or doing something else, drinking a lot of coffee, going out to the park, doing this and that, you know. And not, not, not having a care in the world. But folks, we are bound for heaven. 
That's a supernatural work. And that work continues in our lives each and every day of our life as long as we breathe on this earth. And we are to keep looking up because our redemption draws near. Our God is coming. Our Christ is coming. Our Redeemer is coming. Our Savior is coming. And he's going to snatch us away. Amen. So Jesus not only gave us his disciples, gave his disciples words of comfort and commitment, he gave them a word of comprehension and understanding. Verse 20. Right next to verse 20, word of comprehension and understanding. And he says, at that day, oh, what a phrase. At that day, when you combine that with verse 19, yet a little while in the world see me no more. But you see me, because I live, you shall live also at that day. That day, when we shall see him for who he is. And not just with eyes of faith, but with the spiritual eyes of a new body. At that day, you shall know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. The spiritual, wonderful, eternal triangle. <laughs> Isn't it a beautiful picture? Picture. Man draws really weird triangles. You know, novelists, you know, love triangles. God draws perfect triangles. At that day you shall know that I am in my Father, and you in me and I in you. This spiritual supernatural relationship was accomplished on the day of Pentecost. The disciples at the time of Passover supper were not able to comprehend the scope and magnitude of all of this. They weren't. I mean, they could barely comprehend that Jesus was already going even though he told them he was gone. So how could they comprehend all these things about the Spirit? Yet John took good notes he had to. The Holy Spirit helped him take good notes for us to see what was happening that day. But they couldn't understand together completely, com uh, comprehend the scope and the magnitude of all of this. But on the day of Pentecost, the reality came mightily upon them. Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind and it filled all the house where they were sitting. Sounds supernatural to me. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire and it sat upon each of them. God baptizing this group of 120 with the Holy Spirit. He said, I will be with you and soon I will be in you. There appeared unto them clothes of cloven tongues like as a fire, and it sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. And began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. They began to speak with other tongues. Wait a minute, they must be of the devil. No. That was given to them by God. It was a supernatural experience. A supernatural outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon his people. 
But Nita, we're going to kind of condense this, but what were they proclaiming in those tongues? What were they proclaiming? We're told in verse 7, just jump down there real quickly. It says they were all amazed and marveled, that being the people that were listening to all of this happening. They were outside the room. They were saying, hey, you know, it's only 9 o'clock in the morning. These guys sound drunk. What's going on? They marveled and amazed, but more importantly, they began to say to one another, as it says in verse 7, Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? You know, that's an important point, because Galileans were very simple people. They, they, they may not have known a lot of languages, and even the language that they did know, they spoke with an accent. They were like Southerners. But we're Southerners too, so don't make a big deal about that. So, you know, so they just were simple folk, you know, simple people, fishermen and farmers and all of that. So how can these, how do they know all these languages? And how, how hear we every man in our own tongue wherein we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and dwellers in Mesopotamia and in Judea, Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, in Egypt and, on, and in the parts of Libya about Cyrene and northern Africa and, and strangers of Rome, Jews and proselytes, Cretes and Arabians. Notice, we do hear them speak in our tongues the wonderful works of God. <laughs> The Spirit of God moving supernaturally upon the 120. And they began to cry out in tongues that they didn't even know they had. They didn't even understand. But they spoke the wonderful words of God. The Apostle Paul would write in his letter to the Ephesians, a letter that speaks much about this supernatural relationship. Read Ephesians, that's your homework. But it talks about being in Christ and Christ in us and that beautiful relationship that we have with God supernaturally. But in Ephesians 3 verses 14 to 21, Paul says, For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, listen carefully, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his Spirit in where? The inner man. What do we call that? Supernatural. That's not natural. That Christ may dwell where? Where? In your hearts by faith. That you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth Length and depth and height, those, those dimensions that we all can understand. And to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you might be filled, get this, get this, that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. Wow. Not in installments. Some of you might remember, remember Safeway stores back in the, oh, a long time ago. Oh, my goodness. They, Safeway used to be here in El Paso. They're still around somewhere. I don't know. I don't know why you're even getting into this. I've got to do it quick. But, but you know, when, when I was a kid, you know, uh, you'd go in and, and, and they actually, they would have these, these little uh, uh, illustrated encyclopedia sets, you know. But, but you went in and you would buy, like, the first one for 99 cents, you know. And you go, go read it all, and then you can't wait till the next time you went because then you get volume two, you know. 
And they were all real thin and had a lot of pictures. Pictures are real important when you're a kid. And so we couldn't wait for the next installment. But God's, uh, Paul's not talking about installments here. He says, hey, listen. To know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, surpasses whatever knowledge that we could ourselves ever have, that you might be filled with all, every volume of the fullness of God. Folks, that's supernatural. It can happen no other way. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. Now some of us in this room probably think we could ask a whole lot. I could ask God a whole lot, huh? I could have my list right now in a scroll and roll it out, have, have Ralph open the doors there and roll it out until it gets out to the Spanish ministry. Things that I could ask for. Right? But Paul says, now unto him that is able to do exceeding, that is the Lord, able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh where? In us. In us. Unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. According to the power that worketh in us. Folks, what power is that? It is the supernatural power of the Spirit of God. And lastly, at least for today's study, Jesus said to his disciples, He that has my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. Now, think about what he said earlier on when he said in verse 15, if you love me, remember, literally, he said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. So with that in mind, once again, Jesus says this now in a slightly different approach, a different way. But he says, he that has my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. And he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. Now, when believers go through terrible or traumatic trials and experience severe crises, and I emphasize when believers go through these things, the Lord is always the first to know because he knows the beginning from the end. He knew it was going to happen before it happens. But understand, he's always the first to know. He's always the first to love. And he's always the first to care. Even if we don't think that. Because sometimes we in our flesh will say, Lord, where were you? Don't you even care? I thought you loved me. Yeah? I'm not really just talking about myself, am I? Thank you. Makes me feel good to know I'm not the only one that's been through this experience in life. <laughs> but he's the first to care. The first to love. The first to know. So what does he do? He meets, he moves, he moves to meet the needs of his dear children. There is no doubt 
that in every circumstance, in every situation, in every trial and tribulation, in every temptation, God moves on behalf of his children, on behalf of his dear children. He moves within our hearts, making his presence known with whatever it is that we need. His love, his care. Most of the time when we go through trials, we lack confidence. So what does he give us? He, give us, he gives us confidence that we might trust in him and, and, and depend upon him completely and totally through the situation. He will at times when we struggle with trials and, and, and temptations, he will remind us of his forgiveness. And he forgives us. Because many times we falter and we fail. And whatever is not of faith, the scripture says, is sin. And then he gives us assurance. All these things he gives. Because his desire always for us is to lift us up. His desire for us always is to strengthen us. His desire always is to conform us to the image of Christ. Why? Because the world needs to see Jesus. And every time we go through an experience, in time we come to realize that becomes our testimony to the world. That there is a, that there is a Savior. And his name is Yeshua. His name is Jesus. And he wants to save them from their sins. Romans 8, 28 through 30 contains that exhortation. And we know that all things work together for good. To them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called, and whom he called, them he also justified, and whom he justified, them he also glorified. But it also needs to be noted here that the believer who has Jesus' commandments receives these very special manifestations of the Holy Spirit. You have to have the commandments. Because that's what Jesus said. He said, he that has my commandments. And to have these commandments means that those who are believers have searched them. Have searched them out. And once finding them, possess them. They become yours. You possess these commandments. And then you Put them in your hearts, within your hearts, and you make them your own. Because that's the strength of this phrase, he that has my commandments and keepeth them. They've become your own. Listen, listen to what the psalmist says in Psalm 119, verses 10 and 11. He says, with my whole heart have I sought thee. See, this is a reminder to everyone who believes that in, in Jesus Christ. 
at whatever level you are at as far as time with the Lord is concerned, whatever it is, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, this is for you. Listen. With my whole heart have I sought thee. The question is, are you seeking the Lord with your whole heart? I tend to believe by experience and by what I see that a lot of people don't seek the Lord with their whole heart. Sometimes they seek him half-heartedly. Other times they don't seek him at all. But the psalmist says, with my whole heart have I sought thee. Oh, let me not wander from thy commandments. Thy word, now here it is, thy word have I hid in my heart. What did the psalmist just say? I have the commandments to keep them. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. And so this wonderful love that Jesus describes in verse 21. He that loveth me shall be loved of my father and I will love him and will manifest myself to him can only be described as a supernatural love. What other kind of love can it be? But it is not a natural love at all. It is a supernatural love. So the questions we have to ask ourselves before we leave here today, do we have his commandments? Do we have them? Not just in the book, but is the book in our hearts? Do we have the commandments? Do we keep his commandments? And by the way, if you wonder, how can I keep those wonderful commandments of God? Only by the supernatural power of God's spirit in you can you love him and serve him. Do you see now the importance of God's supernatural presence in your life? Without me, Jesus said, you can do nothing. Let me read, and, and we're going to close this uh, service by the last part of Romans 8. I know we were there earlier, but, but let me just begin in verse 31. If you want to turn there, verses 31 through 39. Paul said, what shall we say to these things? What, what shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? If God be for us. The important thing is that we are for God. We've hidden his commandments in our hearts. We have his commandments. We keep his commandments. Notice that he goes on to say, He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? And then he says, who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Remember what Jesus said. Without me, if you are separated and severed from me, you can do nothing. He says, who can separate us from the love of Christ? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Who? Not just a what, but who? That would, you know, by the way, that includes you. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? 
The implication, of course, is no, none of those things. As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the, the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. More than conquerors through him who loved us. What has Jesus been talking about all this time? God's love for you. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded. And here, get this wonderful list. I am persuaded that neither death nor life. You know, we can stop there. You know why? Because you're either alive or dead. Right? So neither death nor life, but he goes on, nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come. Well, you're all present, so even you. Nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen? Praise the Lord. Let me leave you with Galatians 2.20. Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. Now that's key to understanding our being able to keep the commandments. We have to die to ourselves and die to sin. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me.